You're listening to the Homestead Gardening for the Texas Gulf Coast podcast with Kristen Howard. In my last episode, I discussed what you can and can't compost and focused more on composting typical organic materials and more obvious things like food scraps and leaves. Today, we'll take what you learned from the last episode and go a step further by discussing different composting methods, composting setups and costs, and we'll even talk pros and cons of using earthworms for composting. First, let's explore different composting methods. In the last podcast episode and corresponding YouTube video, I described and showed my quick and easy direct burial composting for kitchen scraps and even gave a leaf mold compost a quick mention. And to refresh your memory, leaf mold compost is simply the process of leaves being raked, piled, and then left to decompose without disruption. Direct burial utilizes garden soil or anything dead to cover green living scraps from the kitchen and suppress odors, as well as reducing foraging pests during decomposition. These are the two simplest techniques if you're wanting to start out with composting. Other methods I'd like to discuss are also pretty simple, but as we talk about them, I want you to think about these methods of composting as forms of recycling and an alternative to recycling program. I also want you to consider that most of these forms have the ability to save you money by reducing or eliminating special disposal and recycling fees. For example, instead of paying for a dump fee on a tree that has to be cut down or branches that were trimmed, you can employ a method called hookle culture to bury these pieces of wood for a longer decomposition. And this is very similar to the direct burial method discussed in the previous podcast and companion YouTube video. However, there are more layers involved with hookaculture. So let's back up a second. Hookaculture is a German word that I'm sure I'm butchering slightly, but basically this means hill or mound culture, and it's a technique for a raised bed construction that doesn't require you to pay for lumber or other materials because instead of a raised bed with walls, it's truly a mound. But that's not the real reason why it's considered an excellent raised bed style. Hookaculture's slow decomposition and layers eventually create a thriving ecosystem that plant roots really need to survive. This technique can be used to improve soil quality and assist with water retention in the soil as it decomposes as well. This can be very beneficial for an area that is heavily compacted or does not have easy access to irrigation or other water source. As I mentioned, this technique involves layering a variety of materials. And if you are a visual learner like me, I have a great example posted on YouTube showcasing how to create the true culture mound in a no-dig application. Now you can use this method to make a mound as it was originally and designed to do, but if you don't have the space for this method or are constructing a raised bed during the rainy season, you can apply this technique to the raised bed to avoid having potential erosion problems. And I show this example on the YouTube episode as well. Many people that do hookle culture use a variety of layered materials to achieve the same general result. But my suggestion is to use what you have readily available to you for free. The first layer is always going to be your tough woody material, such as logs and large branches. 
You can also include sticks and smaller woody material to fill gaps and holes if you need to. Your second layer includes anything that still needs to be composted. If you refer back to podcast episode two, you'll receive a full list of suggestions on what's compostable. To simplify, adding a thick layer of mowed grass or leaves is a great way to separate the bottom woody layer and the next layer and create a barrier that will prevent other layers from slipping through the cracks quite literally. So if you don't have leaves or clippings, then consider cardboard to achieve the separation. Layer as many things as you'd like within the second layer general heading. No matter how many layers you choose to do, your second to last layer will always be a finished compost, and your final layer will be soil. The last two layers of compost and soil will be where most of your plants initially grow until the pile begins to decompose, so we want to keep this layering intact. The culture method really is that simple. But if you don't have access to these materials, I promise you that a neighbor or friend does. And if you let people know what materials you're looking for, you can get a substantial amount for free just to create your own composting. And if these neighbors or friends realize they don't have to pay a removal fee to haul off their tree trash, they will probably deliver it to you for free as well. Gardeners I know will even get in contact with the local tree trimming service or landscape company and request that organic matter such as leaves, clippings, or trees are actually delivered to their house instead of delivered to the dump. The advantage to these companies is they don't have to pay a dump fee, and if you're on their route, they may be happy to do this for you just to increase their profit margin. Another method of composting is called lasagna composting or lasagna gardening. I've heard the same technique described to me, but named something completely different, two or three different ways actually, but lasagna gardening was such a weird term to use that it really stuck with me. This is sort of similar to hugel culture in that we are layering organic materials so they eventually compost on their own over time, but these layers are thinner and simplified to allow a quicker deep composition. We can still use green vegetation and brown dead material, but we want to avoid larger sections of woody material that don't have as much surface area and will take more time to break down. I've seen lasagna gardening with a variety of layers in different combinations, including wood ash, leaf mulch, manure, compost, newspaper, cardboard, peat moss, grass clippings, wood mulch, or sawdust, and even straw. My three goals with lasagna gardening are simple. I want to avoid digging so I don't disturb any natural processes and microbial activity already present underground. Using cardboard helps me suppress weeds or grasses that are already growing on the ground and that I obviously don't want in my beds. Additionally, I don't want to purchase any materials that I don't already have access to for free or at least what I use in a normal bed prep. For example, I don't get the newspaper or have access to straw now that I no longer raise goats. I don't have manure available. I use my wood mulch as actual mulch, and peat moss has to be purchased. Actually, peat moss is used as my soilless medium for my seed starting, so that's definitely not an option for me. What I do have is cardboard, paperboard, compost, leaves, some green matter, and soil. I like to use lasagna gardening from any of my ornamental garden raised beds, especially my rose beds. Layering cardboard to suppress weeds 
adding green living and brown dead material on top, and then finishing my layers with compost and a good rose soil allows me to start planting right away and gives me about two years of weed suppression before I may have a straggler pop up here and there that has to be dealt with. The deeper the raised bed, the less likely you will have any weed problems stemming from the original ground layer, but occasionally they still make their way up the inside walls of a raised bed, especially Bermuda grass. Let's say you have no plans to do lasagna gardening to start a new raised bed. You can still recycle cardboard and paperboard in a small version of lasagna gardening. You can recycle the cardboard straight into your existing beds. And if I'm not building a new bed, but have a lot of cardboard and paperboard around, I actually use this as a weed suppressant between my soil and mulch in ornamental beds. A thick layer of mulch will sometimes suppress weeds naturally, but weed seeds germinate usually with exposure to light and they're very resilient. If you're already having a weed problem before you add mulch, they aren't as likely to be suppressed by a thick mulch layer. The cardboard goes a long way to reducing these weeds and preventing any weed seed germination from reaching the surface. After your mulch is broken down after a year or so, you can repeat the exact same process. Adding cardboard and mulch to your fruit tree areas in the middle of your yard is also a great way to suppress weeds and grass near these trees, which will reduce the competition the grass or weeds have with your tree and will actually help a little bit in reducing the number of ant piles that establish near that tree because the grass gets overgrown in those areas. Okay, I hope those methods already mentioned are new to you. But if you have any questions, I offer a Friday Q&A question and answer time on my Instagram and I'm more than happy to clarify. So let's finish with the classic composting. All you need to know about classic composting is that you should have an equal ratio of greens to browns in the compost pile. This means an equal ratio of living material to dead material, which is to say an equal ratio of nitrogen to carbon. And just to be clear, I just said the exact same thing three different ways. I started off this episode talking about hookah culture and lasagna gardening because I prefer a hands-off approach to composting. However, there are many composting setups you're welcome to try. We've already discussed the cost advantages of using materials you already have access to and reducing your disposal fees, but you can purchase composting devices if that's a better fit for your garden. You will take the same strategies previously discussed and just apply them in the way that your composting bin requires. So, so you can have a stationary composting area with a fence or metal screen material, maybe one cubic yard in size, that has airflow where you layer and even turn your compost. If you listened to the previous episode, you will know why the style didn't work for me, but I have tried this and it was not my favorite method. Next, you can purchase something more compact, like a tumbler, which will be off the ground, turns and tumbles, of course, very easily, and has its own built-in airflow. I've seen these run around $50 or maybe $100 or so, and that is quite a step down from what it was 10 years ago. I think this could be really useful in an apartment or a renter setup with limited space or restrictions on planting on the property. Maybe even if you have animals or dogs that might try to dig in the compost pile, this could be a good setup, but I honestly think they're still a little cost prohibitive. Other ideas include worm composting, which runs about $50 and up or combination planters with worm comp composting built into the planter, 
but I've seen these run at $200 and way, way up from there. I've even seen people use plastic bags to decompose leaves so the leaves don't blow away and create their own leaf mold compost. If you're making leaf mold compost, it might be better to use some sort of garden fabric staked over top than plastic. Some composters even make compost tea or bokashi. This episode is not going to deep dive into the world of compost tea or bokashi, but I'd like to point out something interesting. In my last episode introducing composting, I provided you with a list of what you can and can't compost. Almost everything on the no-no list can decompose, but my distinction was that it's not the best choice for your compost pile or with the simple method that I showed you of direct burial. The Bokashi method and using other composting techniques will allow you to compost these no-no items safely and without any health issues, but they do take a little bit more work, a proper setup, and of course, more knowledge than you'll be given today to do it right. If you are interested in the Bokashi method of composting and would like me to test that out for you and tell you all about it, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. I'd like to talk about earthworms as composters for a bit. When I went through Master Gardener training, I was introduced to two types of earthworms for composting, red wrigglers and African nightcrawlers. Now I knew about earthworm composting, but didn't realize there were different types of worms and advantages and disadvantages to each type. A lot of people know about red wrigglers and have composting setups with vegetable scraps or kitchen scraps and usually shredded papers like newspaper. These worms aren't known for creating great organic compost, but they do assist with the decomposition of these items and reduce your overall waste and trash. They do need special care for the fluctuating temperatures and extremes that the Houston area and Texas in general have. Their ideal temperature is between 55 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit. They can be killed by freezing temperatures or temperatures over 95 degrees Fahrenheit. So they may have to be moved indoors to a more temperate climate, which means they may spend half the year in your home. I like to think of red regulars as pets before I think of them as composters for that reason alone. Now, African nightcrawlers are used to hotter temperatures, preferring a range of 70 to 85 degrees with fatality below 60 and above 86. This range may be easier to manage for some, but it still feels a little too finicky for me. However, African nightcrawlers may be worth the trouble for you because they have potential to create much better organic compost, and for some gardeners, they produce a premium compost. Earthworms can only produce quality compost if they are fed quality food, and African nightcrawlers, unlike red wrigglers, can be fed protein and will not touch any newspaper scraps. I've heard of growers feeding their worms chicken feed, and some growers even use a protein-rich non-dairy formula for young animals, which gives their worms a huge boost. So the takeaway is that composting with African nightcrawlers will have a cost associated with feeding your worms, red wrigglers will help reduce your trash but not give you rich compost, and both have temperature-sensitive ranges you need to keep them in. I believe if your garden has healthy soil, you will already have the tiny composters and microbes you need to have a thriving garden to grow your plants or food in. That's why next week we'll discuss the difference between dirt and soil and which amendments you can use to prep your beds and get better performance from your plants. Thanks so much for learning with me. I hope you enjoyed today's closer look into composting methods. 
and have already chosen the best method to reach your goals in the garden. As a reminder, additional visual aids that pair with this podcast can be found on my YouTube channel. For a daily dose of gardening and to see what's growing on now in the test garden, or to get your specific questions answered each week, follow me on Instagram. And in case you were wondering, this episode is brought to you by my real job. As a landscape designer and the owner of HTG Landscape Design, I've had the privilege of working with a wide range of clients and properties in the Houston area for nearly a decade. If you're interested in having a beautiful outdoor living and pool area, landscape, or edible garden, and you don't know how to turn your ideas into reality, consider using professional design services. Design, consultation, and even educational services are available on my website, and you can find all of this information in the podcast description.